Good morning, Calvary. How are we doing? My name is Drew Phillips. I'm the Next Steps pastor here. Um, a lot of times people confuse me with Trevor. Trevor's a little bit taller than I am, but now I can say I have a longer beard than he does. So um, it's funny how many times after he gets done preaching, I have people come up and say, hey, great sermon. And so luckily he's not here today. So if you say good sermon or hey, that wasn't too good. Maybe you should go back and try that again. Better at 1130. You'll be talking to the right person this morning. Before we get started today, um, I want to do a little bit of a recap of our trip to Chicago. If you're not aware of it, we started um, the beginning of this year with a partnership with Chicago West Bible Church. And um, a couple months ago, their lead pastor, John, was here, and he preached for us. And so we, that was the start of this relationship that we're hoping will be a mutually beneficial relationship where they can learn from us and we can learn from them. Um, and so this was our team. Fifteen of us went up um, on Saturday morning until Sunday night. So it was like 36 hours, but it was amazing to see what God did in 36 hours. We had two main objectives. Uh, the first one was just to get to know the people of the church. Um, we didn't have a huge laundry list of things that we needed to get done, but we just wanted to get to know them to be present, to get to hear their stories. And the way it worked out, we actually got to stay with a couple people from the church, um, which was great because it just allowed for us to connect with them later in the evening um, and then the first thing in the morning um, around breakfast. So that was great. And then finally, um, one of the main reasons we were up there was to help with this thing called Winterfest. And this was um, an indoor carnival that they had for um, their church in their neighboring community and neighborhood. Um, and so we were able to go, and we worked all of the um, games and made the food so that they could be with the people. So the neighbors that they invited, they could be present with them and did not have to worry about making sure all the behind-the-scenes stuff was, was getting done. It was a great event. We had a blast, um, had a great time worshiping with them. And so I would encourage you, if you are at all interested, um, we are going back up again in June, June 23rd. Uh, we're going to go back up and help out with a thing that they call Summer Blast, which is very similar to our party in the park. A uh, big outdoor carnival for their neighborhood, a lot of free food, um, and we're going to go up and do the exact same thing. Hopefully work behind the scenes so that they can be with their community. We're hoping for a group um, of somewhere between 30 or 40 of us to go up um, for whether it's just Saturday or Saturday or Sunday. And so if you're interested, please let me know. Um, it's a very inexpensive trip, and to see what God can do in just 36 hours with a drive up to Chicago was amazing. And so I encourage you that those team members that you saw earlier, just ask them. Ask them how the trip went. Ask what God was doing in their lives and their hearts um, while we were there. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you um, for another morning to be with our brothers and sisters worshiping you. Thank you for those who are here on stage using their gifts and their talents and abilities to help us uh, come into your presence. Spirit, I pray that you would move in this place today. I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear as we take a look at the scriptures, Lord, that we would um, be able to find something that we can relate to, that we can take home this week and chew on and mull over what you would have us to do. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your patience. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So we're starting a new series today, Vantage Points. And for the next three weeks as we move towards Easter, we are going to be taking a look at three different vantage points of the cross. For me, I get to start today with the disciples. We're going to take a look at the disciples' vantage point of the cross. And as we look at that, the disciples were the first followers of Jesus. They were the original followers of Jesus. And you've got to remember that they were lowly fishermen. They were uneducated men. They were women that did not have value or place in society. And Jesus came in and gave them hope, gave them worth, loved them. They saw him do miracles. And here they are at the cross seeing him die. Their world is crashing in. Everything that they thought they knew, everything that they thought that they was going to happen is, is unraveling in a way that they did not expect to happen. And there are two reactions that we're going to take a look at, two vantage points that we're going to look at from that. But before we get there, I think it's important for us to realize that all of us have a different view of things. I am the oldest of four kids. I have three younger sisters, Stephanie, Kelsey, and Carrie. And my vantage point of my childhood is very different than my youngest sister's vantage point of what childhood looked like. I feel like uh, most of the time I was treated unfairly that I had the raw end of the deal, that my life, my rule, I had a lot more strict rules than they did. I had to be in at a certain time. Laundry list of things. The one story that I like to tell that kind of encapsulates that a little bit is this story. We had this apple tree in our front yard. And in this apple tree, it was a crab apple tree, so it wasn't even apples that were useful that we could eat. They just fell on the ground and they had to be picked up so we didn't step on them. Um, and actually one time, I was not obeying what my parents had asked, wasn't wearing shoes, stepped on an apple, got stung by a bee. That's the reason why we had to pick up the apples. But this was my job. This was my job that I had to do. And it finally got to the point where my oldest sister, Stephanie, was going to get to join me in this endeavor and get to join me in this joyous experience of picking up apples and putting them in a bucket. And I was so excited for that summer. But right before summer started, my dad gets out the chainsaw and cuts that tree down. Now, you would think that I would be smart enough to realize that also meant that my job with that was done, but I was mad because this was the time that Stephanie was actually going to be able to get in there and help me out and be able to carry her load a little bit. And so I have told that story over and over and over again from that vantage point. And this last Thanksgiving, Christmas, something like that, I was, again, lamenting with my family that how tough my life has been and how, what a raw deal I've gotten throughout all of it. And my mom or dad, one of the two, maybe both, kind of gently pulled me aside and said, do you know the reason why we cut down that tree? I said, yeah, so Stephanie didn't have to do any work. That's why you cut that tree down. And they said, actually, the tree was dying. The roots were getting so bad that they were starting to break up the sidewalk in front of the house. And it was an eyesore in front of our house. So we cut it down so that you guys could play in the front yard more and enjoy it and not have to worry about this anymore. It had nothing to do that it was Stephanie's turn to pick up the apples. It had everything to do that it was time for that tree to go. And I said, okay. Still in the back of my mind thinking, you really just didn't want Stephanie to have to pick up those apples. But what it made me understand was that I, they have a different vantage point of a situation than I had. There was more wisdom. They were older than I was. I was like six or seven or something at the time, so I was not very old. 
But I had seen it through this lens for all of my life, and I needed someone to come in and to explain it a little bit more. As we look at these two different vantage points, the first one we're going to look at is Peter and the disciples, the rest of the disciples. So I'm going to read some scripture, and I'm going to kind of paint a story as we um, paint a picture of a story as we go along. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, and it says this, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So this is right after Jesus was arrested in the garden. And as he's getting arrested, you know, Peter gets defensive, cuts off um, the soldier's ear. Jesus picks it back up and says, this is not how we're going to do this. They take him off and all the disciples desert him and flee. Then John gives us a, a little bit more of a picture of it. So in, in John chapter 18, 15 through 18, we find this, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. Whenever you hear that, that's John referring to himself. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of those man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards made a charcoal fire, and they stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood with them, warming himself. So here we have Peter and John, who the others fled. They're following a little bit closer. They get in. They're in the courtyard while this is going down. And then we know right after this, Peter denies Jesus three times and rushes out of the gate and weeps. And we don't really have an account of what happens with Peter after this. Um, we, we know that he's with the apostles when um, Mary comes back to tell him that Jesus has risen. But other than that, we don't know what happens to him after he is, has left in shame. And then Luke gives us this account in Luke twenty three forty nine. So after all of this has happened, Jesus is on the cross and it says this, but Jesus's friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. This was their vantage point. They stood at a distance and watched. But you have John, who is Jesus's closest friend. And he gives us this account. In John 19, 25 through 27, it says this, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, being John, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to, his, to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Two different vantage points, two different reactions to their world crashing in around them. Some stood at a distance, and some one of the disciples was at the feet of Jesus, there with his mother, being there to comfort. So my question for us today is, with your view of the cross, what is your vantage point? Are you someone that has kept a distance? Are you someone that's at the foot of Jesus? And when life comes crashing down around you, you run nowhere else but to the feet of Jesus. 
couple years ago, 2013, I had the opportunity to go to the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. I don't know about you, this is my favorite time of year. The tournament's about ready to start, Selection Sunday's tonight. My wife loves basketball, so this is guilt-free sports watching for the next four weekends. It's awesome. She wants to watch it, I want to watch it. And a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the tournament when it was in Indianapolis. My brother-in-law had gotten tickets, and it was Duke, um, Michigan State, Louisville, and Oregon. I had just moved back from Oregon, and so he said, hey, you want to come with me? You can see your team play, see some of the other great teams in the country play. And I was ecstatic. So I went to the games with him. And it was a fun weekend. Oregon lost the first game to Duke uh, or Louisville, one of the two I don't exactly remember. But they lost that first game. But just to see the other great coaches and to be there was, was a great experience. And I don't know if you remember what happened during those games, but in the Elite Eight game, Louisville was playing Duke. And one of Duke's players took a three-point shot, and the Louisville player contested it and came down awkwardly. Now, I was standing, we had decent seats, but we weren't right up on the action. So I was back from a distance, and then all of a sudden, my eyes go this way, because I think it just looks like a normal play, and we're going to go down the court. All of a sudden, all of these players on the court that are right there start visibly getting ill and physically getting sick on the court. The bench clears, people are crying, people are throwing towels over things, and I'm thinking, what is going on? I cannot tell the place. As soon as this happens, all of the screens in the arena go dark. So they're not showing us, the camera angles are done. I'm trying to pull up my phone, but there's so many people trying to do the same thing, I can't get a connection. I have no clue, but people are freaking out on the floor. Well, if you know what happened, Kevin Ware had come down awkwardly in his tibia, which is your shin bone right here came through his leg and was sticking out about three inches. Now, I really wanted to put a picture of this up on the screen, <laughs> but I didn't want to get the same reaction for, uh, that, that happened on the court with everyone here if your stomach's a little bit squeamish. But if you like that stuff, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Kevin Ware's injury and the pictures are pretty incredible. Um, but my experience of what happened there was from a distance. My emotional connection was only through those who were standing close to it. It wasn't until actually after the game, after they'd taken them off the stretcher, started the game, finished the game, that I was actually able to get on my phone and see pictures of what had actually happened. So I had been there, but I had no clue because I was seeing it from a distance. And those who were close truly got to experience how horrible that injury was. And then also got to celebrate the next year when he actually came back and played again. So the same is true with this story. To appreciate the cross, to understand what Jesus went through, to understand his place in our life, it depends on where we position ourselves in relation to the cross. Are you someone that has stayed at a distance? Maybe you've grown up in the church, you know all the Bible stories, Maybe one time you even made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've always kept your distance. You'd never wanted to get too close because you didn't know how much it was going to cost you. You didn't know how uncomfortable it was going to make you. That's what the disciples were going through. They were, they, they were nervous and they were scared that if they got too close, if they were just like Peter and people were going to recognize him, they were going to have the same fate that Jesus had and they were going to die. And they were scared. And so they kept their distance. 
If this is you, if you identify with that, my question to you is why? What has happened for you to keep your distance? Maybe it was that someone you trusted who claimed to follow Jesus did something, their words or their actions did not align, and you decided at that moment, I'm not going to get too close to this. Maybe there's some guilt, some shame in your life that you're hiding from, and because of that guilt and shame, you are keeping your distance. Maybe it's that you're too busy. Maybe all you have time for, maybe all that Jesus gets is an hour a week, two or three times a month. Maybe it's you're comfortable where you're at, and you don't want to change. You like your life the way it is, and if that gets disrupted at all, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. I don't handle change well, so I can identify with that. Maybe you don't know that there is a greater portion available. Maybe you haven't been taught. Maybe you didn't know that there is so much more available. That there is a greater portion that when the world comes crashing in around you, when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Such a beautiful promise that we get from James. That when we draw near to God, He promises to draw near to us. So maybe it's for you, you don't know that there's more available. Am I here to tell you today, there is so much more available. It's risky. It may cost you more than what you want to give up. But it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. So my encouragement to you if you identify with someone who's, who views the cross and views Jesus from a distance, that over these next three weeks as we walk towards Easter, as we journey that way together, that you would step a little bit closer. Whatever it is, that you would risk something in order to come closer to Jesus. Allow Him to come into your life to affect and to change how you act, how you serve, how you talk. So that when your world comes crashing around, you know exactly where to run. This picture I've got here is a picture of the Redwoods. If you haven't been there, it's beautiful. When I was out in Oregon, I had an opportunity to go on a camping trip there with some of my buddies. And it is an unbelievable place. Those trees are so massive, and it's just crazy to think. Like, there are trees you drive your car through the middle. But this picture right here is taken from a distance. And those look fairly impressive. But it also just kind of looks like a forest somewhere. The next picture I have is me standing in front of one of those trees. And it's not till you get in front of it, it's not till you're that close that you understand the magnitude and how big those trees are. When you see the root system come up, when you get to see all of the intricate parts of the bark, you get to see the names that have been carved into those trees for years. You get to the point where you look up and I realized I couldn't see the top unless I went backwards because it was so tall. The magnitude of how big those trees are, you cannot appreciate unless you are close to it. I was looking at some other pictures as I was looking for this one, and there's one of me that's in the middle of one of the trees and I look like a little insect. You can barely, you have to really focus to see that I'm in there because these trees are just so massive. It's the way it is when we realize what's available for us in Jesus. 
God's love for us is so massive. We cannot comprehend it. And the only way that we can start to do that is if we continue to move closer and closer. So maybe you are one that identifies with John and the three women that are close to Jesus. Maybe you've walked through some tough times and you've realized after all of these years that the best place to go when I'm going through a tough time is to walk through it with Jesus. My encouragement to you is this. Invite someone else to join you. Create space in your life for others to experience that same thing. We see this here. It's not just John at the cross. It's not just Mary Magdalene. It's not just Jesus' mother. It's not just Jesus' aunt. They're all there together. And I can imagine that John knew that Mary was going to be there. And he did not want Mary to be there alone. And he knew that he couldn't be there alone either. And Jesus notices them. And he says, Mother, here's your son. And son, here's your mother. Please take care of her. Doing what any good oldest son would do is to make sure that his mother was taken care of. And what did John do? We read there at the end of the passage that he allowed and had Mary live in his home for the rest of her days. And if you use your imagination with me a little bit, imagine what that's like. Imagine what that's like for Mary. Now we know three days later, Jesus rises, but then he leaves again. So you can imagine that Mary is pretty sorrowful, that there's a lot of lamenting, probably some late nights, some tears as she has nightmares remembering about how her son was tortured and hung on a cross. And John was there through all of it. We also see John go back and he's with the disciples hanging out, waiting to try to figure out what are we going to do next. And I can imagine those conversations that they're having sitting around the table in that room thinking, okay, our world is crashing in around us and all we saw was from the distance. John, what was it like? What did it smell like? And John loved them. John, I imagine, shows them the same grace and love that he had got from his best friend. That he put his arm around Peter when Peter was probably still upset. These were the last words that that my friend heard me say is I denied him three times and he knew I was going to do it and I still did it. I can imagine John putting his arm around him and saying, it's okay. You should have saw the look on his face. He knew what he was doing and he loves us. I still don't know what's going to happen, but I know that he loves us. John made space for others. Now we have an enemy that does not want that for us. We have an enemy that wants us to be isolated. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to move closer. We have an enemy that wants to keep us as far away as possible. Satan will remind us of those things in our lives that guilt, the shame, the sin that we think, I don't deserve to be any closer And we need each other in those times. We need to walk through that with one another. One thing that helps me with this as well is we have 
God's Word who gives us promises and truths. So when the enemy comes and attacks and says, you're not worthy, you can't do it, you can't move closer, we have scriptures that promise us differently. I want to read a few of them for you. If you're a note taker, these are great verses to take down. Take your phone out, take a picture of the screen, they'll be up there. Colossians 1, 13-14 says this, For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Romans 8, 1-2 says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's that word freed again. The message of the cross is foolish for those who are headed towards destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 And Galatians 6.14 says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interests in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. Did you catch that? My interest in the things of this world, the things that distract, the things that bring us down, has been crucified. I no longer live there because I know that I can come to the foot of the cross because Christ died for me. So therefore, my interest in this world has died. And its interest in me has died as well. So what do we do with this? Maybe you've identified with someone who's always kept your distance. Maybe you're someone who knows the best place to run is to the foot of the cross. Our Monday morning application, we do this every week. This is just a practical way that you can take what you've heard today and apply it to your lives. This week, my encouragement to you is this. Read Luke chapters 22 and 23. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available in the Next Step space. Please stop by, pick one of those up. Download the app on your phone. But I would encourage you this next week, read Luke 22 and 23. Don't rush through it. If you finish it, start over again. But put yourself in the story. Allow the words and the pictures to penetrate your mind, your heart, and your soul. Picture yourself in the upper room when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Picture yourself in the garden when he's arrested and the commotion and the craziness that's going on in that spot. Imagine yourself in the courtyard with Peter. See his pain, his anguish. And finally, picture yourself where you're at during the crucifixion. Do an honest evaluation that when life is hard, where are you at? And my encouragement is to take one step closer. Risk 
one more thing. We're going to be going on a journey this week, and we're going to be hearing a lot of stories, seeing a lot of vantage points of the cross. My encouragement to you is allow yourself to have an honest evaluation of where your vantage point is coming from. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you um, for your sacrifice. Father, my prayer today is that for people here that, that your spirit has been working on their heart and they've given an honest evaluation of where they stand with you. And as followers of Jesus, Lord, I pray that we would do whatever we can to take one step closer. That when we spend this week reading in Luke, Lord, that those words would come alive off the page and we would be able to see ourselves in the story. See the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Took the punishment that we deserved on your shoulders and loved us through it. And my prayer is that we would come around others who are struggling with that. That if we know the best place to go is at your feet, that we would create space for those around us. That we would learn what it means to sit with them. Not to answer all their questions, not to say the right words, but just to be present and to pray. Father, thank you for your promises of your word. Thank you that we can rest, that we have been saved from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your Son. I pray that we live out of the place of sonship, that we know that we are sons and daughters of the King because of your sacrifice for us. Nothing that we did, but all because of your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.